We're concluding the fourth of four uh, in a series called Love Reigns. We've talked about the past, we've talked about the present. Today I want to focus on uh, the future. You know, it may be trite, uh, but I'll say these statements because they're true. Uh, we may not know what the future holds, but we do know who holds the future. Uh, thinking about the future, I mean, what is going to happen uh, tomorrow, next week, over the next few months, over the next year? There, we really don't know. All the people come out and uh, make predictions and, and prophesy, uh, but rarely do they get it right. Uh, I remember when uh, 2020 was starting and all, oh, it's 2020. We've had a 2020 vision for years, and that vision didn't actually come to fruition, did it? How many of you, this is going to date me a little bit, how many of you owned something like this when you were a kid? It may have been black, but this is called the Magic 8 Ball. Anybody ever have one of these? You know, this was invented back in the 50s. Uh, uh, for some of you younger folks, uh, uh, this makes me feel old, but uh, it used to come in black. It has some kind of blue goo inside with this little triangle inside. And, you know, as like a, a fifth grader, I was like, oh, I just need to know some things, you know. I'd ask questions of it like, am I going to pass this class, or, or does this girl like me? And then I would hold it strong, and he would say, don't count on it. All right, so, um, <laughs> you know, we wanted to know the future so bad, we would make this little ball and, and look and ask questions of it. And uh, I asked some of the staff the other day, and I won't tell you how it turned out. But anyway, there's, there's just, the, we have a desire to know the future, and, and people read their horoscopes, people, you know, uh, I don't know, they do tea leaves, they do all kinds of things, and and I had the eight ball. How many of you, uh, uh, you know, you've had an eight ball? You know, this, you got to get one of these things. I'm on Amazon for like five bucks. I'll get it to you in two days. I mean, it's a lot of fun. I thought about asking questions here today of it, but uh, I'd be afraid to find out the answer. Here's the truth of the matter. The eight ball is not going to help you know your future. Your horoscope is not going to help you know your future. You're not going to know the future except what God has confirmed in his word about what the future is. That every one of us are going to die and every one of us are going to meet our maker. And depending on our relationship with him determines where we'll be for eternity. That's what you can know for certain. I love David Platt when he, uh, he was in seminary. He tells the story. Um, he went to seminary in New Orleans. And uh, if you go down, down to the inner, inner district of uh, New Orleans, I mean, there are all kinds of, um, you know, fortune tellers there. And, and so he and a buddy would set up a sign that said, we can tell you your future. And so people would come by and they'd basically share the gospel with them. Here's your future. Which direction are you going to go? And a great way to share the gospel in that community. Uh, so what is our future and what does it hold? Unfortunately, we spend a lot of time thinking about the future on things we can't control. And so it brings fear and worry. What's going to take place in this job? What's going to take place in this economy? I wonder what the future will hold. Sometimes our situations are very difficult and we need hope that the future is going to get better. Sometimes we wonder about our future because we're excited about the possibilities before us. Here in a few weeks, there'll be thousands of students in, in the Lynchburg area and, and hundreds of thousands across the United States that are getting a diploma, a high school, college diploma, maybe a, a master's or a doctorate degree. And what does the future hold? And somebody will be sharing some wisdom from the platform. And, and if they're exciting, they'll listen to them. And if it's not, they'll go, when is this guy going to be done? But they're, they're anticipating a great future because of what they've accomplished. But either way, our curiosity about the future can sometimes slip into an unhealthy obsession with what uh, causes us to worry. 
What is the future? As I step into a text in just a moment, I want you to think about the one thing right now. There are multiple things perhaps you're, you're anxious about, you're worried about, you don't know what the future holds. You know, if you're brave enough, just write that down on your notes real, real quick. Because I'm going to come back to it at the end. But either in your mind or on paper, this is kind of what I'm worried about in the future. Whether this is a week from now, a month from now, a year from now, whatever it is. Perhaps you know, I had somebody reach out to me and just said, pray for me. I've got it, uh, uh, the results from, from a, a, a test that I just took on Tuesday. I just want some prayer. I, you know, it's a little anxious about that. There are things that we're just looking towards that give us some angst. So write that down. Some people are worried about finals. Some people are worried about their family or their finances, jobs, getting sick. A lot of people have been worried about that during this, this season of COVID. And everything under the sun we worry about. The question is, does worry ever improve your situation? See, Jesus dealt with this early in his ministry when he preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I want you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you, to Matthew chapter 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, pick up the black Bible right in front of you, and you can turn to page 761. 761. I want to take a look at the cure for anxiety and, and worry. Jesus referenced this when he, he spoke in Matthew chapter 6, among some other things that he was speaking of. Down in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 and, and following. I'll read it in its entirety, and then I want to walk back through it a little bit about uh, what he is saying here, about worrying about tomorrow, about the days to come. He states here, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat, or what you'll drink, nor about your body, or what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan or a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Verse 30. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom, or the, the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, he says for the third time, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. 
Father, I pray today that if there are those who are holding on to anxiety, they're fearful for things that are to come, I pray today you would just remind them, just the gentle reminder by the Holy Spirit, that you have total control and they are in your hands. Father, help us to trust you with our days, that you may be glorified and we would be satisfied. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The passage states, do not be anxious, three times in these ten verses. Multiple times using the word anxious. But the command, do not be anxious. You have nothing to be anxious about. And you say, no, I've got a whole host of things I'm anxious about. And Jesus is confirming here that you've got your focus on the wrong area. Love reigns over our future because we're not in control of our future. He is. But when he says in verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. I mean, you ought to live today, but don't be worried about tomorrow. He mentions some of the, just the basic things, eating, drinking, our body, you know, what we're going to put on, you know, what kind of clothes we're going to wear and, and uh, how we're going to take care of uh, our, our, our physical needs. None of these things ultimately matter. They matter. God is not uh, unimpressed with, with us eating. He, he desires for us to eat and, and desires for us to drink and to be taken care of health-wise and, and clothing. But, but this is not our worry. What I find in this passage, are basically just two. I'm going to keep it very broad today. Two primary teachings here. One is this. God sees you. I think some of you need to be reminded of that. You might think in the whole host of things God has to take care of that he may actually not see you in, in your certain, certain, certain circumstance. Boy, I've got to learn to speak today. You think... I'm just a little speck of dust and a whole, whole host of, of things that God has to worry about, and I'm not that big of a deal. I want you to know that God sees you and knows you well. He knows your needs. He knows your concerns. You're not being bypassed for more important people or more important things. He sees you. You notice in the text when he tells his listeners here to look at the birds of the air. Look. Perhaps you haven't noticed them. They fly by. How many of you drive uh, down the road and there's hundreds, thousands of birds and you don't pay attention. Maybe you do if they're in your way. One time I had a turkey fly right into my windshield as I was traveling through Mississippi. I noticed that bird after the fact. I didn't know a turkey could get that high. But we don't notice these things, but God knows the birds. You know, he knows every star by name. He knows you. God is an incredible God who doesn't bypass uh, those who we in the human realm consider not that important. God sees you. He tells you to look at the birds because he's already looked. And if he's willing to look at a bird or look at a flower... He's willing to look at you and know your needs and take care of you. God sees you in your circumstance even right now. I mean, when he says, consider the lilies, look. Consider the grass of the field. You've got to look because this is the God who looks at you, who you are even of more valuable than they are, as verse 26 tells us. 
mentioned a few weeks ago just about value. It's not that we have great value that God desires us, but when God desires us, he gives us great value. There are a lot of things in this world we don't value very much. Other people don't value the things that you value sometimes, yes? When you die, you will have things in your house your children do not want. I encourage you, before you die, just go ahead and have a garage sale. Because you think everybody's wanting to move into your home and just live like you do and, and cherish the things you do. No! You're a pack rat and you need to get rid of some stuff because your kids don't want it. Value is only in the eye of the beholder. And you may not have much value until God places his presence in your life and there is much value. God sees you. He gives you value. You may not care about the birds. You may not care about the lilies of the field. You might not care about the grass. But God puts value there. But he puts more value in you than any other thing. When he was in, uh, creating the world, and, and after every day, he would say, uh, as the conclusion of the day, and this was good. And then after he concluded all of creation, and especially right after he created humans, he said, this was very good. There's a great value here. I'm placing great value you may not think your, your life has much value, but let me tell you, God has placed much value on your life. He sees you, and he's not abandoned you. He's promised, I will never leave you nor forsake you. You notice in verse 27 what he says here in, uh, about anxiety and worry. Depending on your translation, uh, English Standard Version uses the word anxious or anxiety. Uh, some of the other translations use the word worry. Same, same you know, phrase, same, same definition. But he not, you notice in verse 27, he says, can, uh, can you add a single hour to a span of life? Let's go ahead and take a poll. How many of you believe by if you worry more, you could add some value and, and some time to your life? All right, let me ask the reverse or the inverse of that question. How many of you think you can steal some hours from your life by sitting around worrying about it? How many, you're guilty. I can see it on your face. You've, you've wasted a lot of time, hours. And in the span of your life, in 75 years, I guarantee you've wasted months, perhaps even years. Let me give the, the, the thought. I, I went and did some research on this. I thought it was very fascinating, you know, about how much worry is an all-consuming uh, task of taking your time, your energy, your attention. There was a survey about how people spend their lives. Now, this is a little depressing, so if you're depressed, you can come see me afterwards for counseling. But um, in a lifespan of the average American... You will spend six months sitting at a stoplight. What a waste. You'll spend eight months opening up junk mail. You know what I started doing with junk mail when it comes to me? Because you can know it's junk mail by, they put a, a stamp on there or say, you know, Cardi sort, you know. You know I take the stuff out. I, I, seriously, I do this. I'll take it out. I'll take the stuff they sent me, I'll rip it up, I'll put it in the return envelope, and I'll mail it back to them, because it's free. <laughs> if they took the time to send me something, I want to take the time to send it back to them. One year, you will spend one full year looking for misplaced objects. Where are my keys? I always like this one. Where are my glasses? I can't find them. I need them to see where they are. You spend two years unsuccessfully returning phone calls. 
four years doing housework, five years waiting in line somewhere, a full six years eating. Some of you expanded that time. In another survey dealing with, with just worrying, 86% of people describe themselves as worriers, which worries me. 86% of people are worriers. And you know how long you spend in your lifetime, average lifespan, according to these uh, researchers? People spend six years of their life worrying, which reveals stress and anxiety. Uh, well, which re actually revealed that stress and anxiety may even shorten your lifespan by 2.8 years. Why is that? Because worrying and anxiety, how we, we process uh, what's happening in our lives and what we're going to do in the future, the more you hold on to it, it affects your whole uh, uh, chemical makeup of who you are. It, it affects your central nervous system. People get headaches. They're dizzy. The cortisol levels increase, the fight-or-flight cortisol response, but overextension of that can really damage your, your, your body. Weight gain takes place the more you're anxious. I don't know if that's just because you eat more ice cream or what, but your, your weight gain takes place. The cardiovascular system is affected, rapid heart rates and palpitations because of anxiety that you're feeling. The excretory and the digestive system is all messed up. Stomachache, nausea, diarrhea. The immune system is weakened because of the way you process your worrying and anxiety. Your respiratory system is affected. Rapid, shallow breathing. Your muscle system, muscular system is, is affected. Mu muscle tension. It causes insomnia. Some of you have lost way too much sleep worrying about something you can't control. I mean, if you could learn how to just pray and give it to God and let him worry about it and you go to sleep, you'd be far better off. Oftentimes, worrying and anxiety leads to prolonged self-isolation. You just don't want to be with people, which is not helpful or healthy. So listen, God cares for the birds. He cares for the flowers. He cares for the grass of the field. But he cares about you even more. He knows your needs. He knows what the future Holds. But one of the things I find as I've, I, I comb through this text is that worry is basically three things. First, it's irreverent to worry. Because it fails to recognize the God who is in control. You're not trusting him anymore. When you're trying to control the future and not trust the one who has control of the future, it, you're being irreverent in your worry. It's also irrelevant to worry because it changes nothing for the good, nor does it help you cope. What's the benefit of worrying and anxiety? There is none. So not only irreverent, it's irrelevant. It's a waste of time. It's also irresponsible. It burns up your time, your energy, your emotion, and it does not provide solutions. Doesn't mean you shouldn't think about the future and start to do some things uh, proactively towards good things. But to worry about it, to, to, to stress and to hold all of that inside is of no value. Jesus used the birds of the air in verse 26 to illustrate a freedom from anxiety. You don't see birds stressed out. They just fly. And that's what he's telling us here. You've got some concerns in your life? Let me hold on to those. You just fly with the freedom I've given you. You don't have to worry about it. 
uses the illustration of the lilies of the field in verse 28 and 29 to illustrate a freedom from seeking status. Uh, well, how are we going to look and, and what's this going to be like? And he says, look at the lilies of the field, how beautifully clothed they are because God's taking care of them. They're even better than Solomon who had all the world's splendor at his disposal. Not to seek status and, and position. He uses in verse 30, grass of the field to illustrate a need to evaluate our priorities. Grass is there and then it gets burned up. Everything that you strive for and worry for will all go away. You think, oh, but I worry about my health. One day God will take all of your health anyway. And you'll close your eyes on this planet and you'll open your eyes in heaven. And you're not worried about your health anymore. You worry about your finances. How is all, all the ends going to meet? Well, be proactive in setting up a budget and pray before you pay for that next item. But ultimately, let God just take care of those things and you just be diligent and put your priorities right. You notice he, he contrasts the culture versus the children of God in verse 32 and 33. He says the Gentiles, and that's just representative of, of those outside the faith. He's speaking to a Jewish audience who say they believe in God, who have faith in God. What, what he's saying, look, look how the Gentiles respond. They're worried about these things. But your father in heaven, if you're a child of God, you don't have to act like the world does when it comes to these circumstances. You have a God you can trust, and you can just know he's going to take care of it. Don't be lazy. Follow and obey his, his commands, but just trust him in the process. You know, there is much I disagree with with this cancel culture. I cancel everything now, but there is one thing I would agree with. It's time to cancel. Anxiety in your life. Give it no residence in your home, in your heart, in your family. Cancel it. He said, that's easier said than done. Yes, because you've lived with it so long, it is like a pet. It is like that, that, that piece of furniture. We, it was given to me by my grandmother. That anxiety I'm just going to keep on to, so I'm just going to live with it. No, get rid of it. Let it go. How do I do that? By the power of God. It's the only way. When the Spirit of God takes up residence in your life, He does not want to share attention with the worries that you have no uh, responsibility or ability to do anything with. Just let it go. Jesus spoke it as one of his first sermons. It's amazing that people still listen to him after that if they couldn't agree with that. You know, James chapter 4 speaks of this briefly. When it gives some wisdom about how do we live in this world today when we've got a future you know, do I not need to think about anything in the future? No, God never tells you not to think about the future. He just says, don't worry about it. Don't be anxious about it. In James chapter 4, verse 13, it starts, it says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go. There's a certain, I'll be here tomorrow, so we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. We do speak like that. We, we speak about tomorrow because we assume we'll be there, which is Fine if you have the right perspective. And James corrects us here. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. 
You understand, we're all on borrowed time. God has only given us so many days, and he didn't tell us in advance when that end day would come. The way some of you drive, you ought to expect a little sooner. But he didn't tell you the end date. What he says, live the life you have now, plan for tomorrow, but if God takes it away, be content, because it is his will and his ways. He goes on. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Rather than worrying about tomorrow, I think we ought to just be working today while aiming for the future, but realizing the future is in God's hands to do with what he wishes. We ought to be thinking less or worrying less about our bank account and more focused about how we're going to bless others with what God has given us. Perhaps we ought to worry less about the mortgage and, and think more about ministering to the lonely. We ought to think and worry less about our college kids' tuition and more focused on do they have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because only one will end up in eternity. Think about what Jesus is expanding here. He's saying, listen, God sees you. He has the, the, it all taken care of. Trust him. So what is your role if you're not to worry about tomorrow? Just plan for tomorrow and let God take care of the results. Like budget, don't, don't blow it on stupid stuff. Budget, but realize God is the one who will provide the income. God is the one who's going to provide the way. So if God is taking care of tomorrow, what should you do? And this is where verse 33 and 34 come in. If God sees you, what are you to do in verse 33? But you, simplified, seek God. Doesn't mean you don't get concerned about other things, but your primary, ultimate focus is to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own troubles. This word to seek is a present imperative. It, it means to keep seeking. I mean, every moment, every day, I'm seeking God in his will, and he'll take care of the details on the other things. The object of our seeking is God. This is worship. So, in some ways, simplistically, replace your worry with worship. You know, here's one of the things. It's simple. How many of you have ever heard of the concept of meditating? Okay? Some of you meditate naturally. It's called worry and anxiety. Meditating is thinking about something over and over and over again until it has your whole being involved. And you do this as worriers. Oh, I'm thinking about this. Oh, this scenario. What about that conversation? And oh, you're taking stuff from the past, thinking for the present, taking stuff from the future, and you're trying and you're worried about it and you're meditating upon it. And and this is what people do naturally. God says, replace that kind of meditation with worship where you're thinking about God. That which is pleasing and honorable, holy. You think about these things and let that calm your heart, straighten up your mind. 
and you begin to walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Do you spend more time worrying or worshiping? Worrying about the problems or worshiping the God who is the solution for all things? Replace your worship with worry. The key to seeking is submitting. Submitting to him. Surrendering to him. Let me use an illustration here. I didn't plan for this, but I'm thinking about it. All right, every day, I talked about the mercy seat last week, but every day, if you're a worrier, you sit down and you just worry, and you, oh, I don't know what to do and all that. And because you, you're looking around 360 in your life, oh, I'm worried about my spiritual life, I've got God over here and I'm thinking about him, I want to go to church, I checked that box, or I had a devotion a couple of days ago that was good. You know, I'm worried about my physical health, I'm, uh, I'm gaining weight during COVID, what am I going to do here? I'm thinking about my relationships, With I've got to spend more time here. and do. Uh, I'm thinking about my finances, how am I going to pay for this? And goodness gracious, these bills are coming, you know, coming faster. You know, I'm thinking about my, my own emotional health and can I handle all of this? And you're sitting in the center seat with all these things around you and it begins to crush in which only makes it worse but here's the problem you're the center of your own universe you're sitting on your own throne and that's what you want you're saying I'm in control of all, all these things but ultimately you can't handle all so it's crushing in and what God says you need to surrender the center seat position get up let him be the center of your life. So God's not just a part of your life. He is your life. And you sit back. And when he's in control, all you do is center on him. And he'll begin to work these other things out. All these other things will be added to you. You don't need to worry about all of these things. Let him be the driver. And the center of your life. You worship. And he works. You know, uh, you don't work for your salvation. A lot of people know this. You don't work for your salvation. You know, Ephesians chapter 2 is very clear. It's by grace we're saved, not by our works. So how is it when we're believers, we still try to work for these things? When worship is our primary work. Jesus worked for your salvation, and he's still working in your sanctification. Your focus is on him and doing what he tells you to do. Jesus gave us this model as a human on this planet. He was both fully God and fully human. But in his humanity, he clearly says, I only do what the Father tells me to do. So as followers, we ought to be just like Jesus. Jesus didn't worry. He wasn't anxious. He only did what God told him to do. Likewise, we just listen to the Father, get very close. We read, we pray, we take care of the details that he tells us, but we don't have to worry about the results. It's up to him to work in us and then through us. That's what our future ought to be like. At the beginning of this message, I mentioned, you know, maybe you'd have something, at least one thing in your mind or one thing you wrote down that causes you to worry. I'd love for you to just look at that again and write over that worship. You're going to replace worrying about that with worship. Thank you, Father, that you're working in this situation. Thank you, Father, that you care enough about me that you have this handled. 
this conversation that I'm going to have to have, this, this bill that I'm going to have to pay, this doctor's appointment. I'm, thank you, God, that you have already working it all out for your glory and my good. I will just trust you with it. And I'm not going to worry about it. I'm not going to think about it. I'm just going to worship you. And it will be just fine. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to. Perhaps the next time something raises up and tempts you to worry about it, you ought to just stop and pray. Maybe put on a Christian song that, that encourages you in that moment about the hope we have in Christ. Perhaps read some scriptures once again. Go back to this particular passage. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added to you. Do not be anxious.